Sound design. If that would have broken as well, the whole PA would have swung forward past the center of gravity and probably would have come down on top of a bunch of people. Sound design. Sound Design Live is produced independently by me, Nathan Lively, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Welcome to Sound Design Live, the home of the world's best online training and sound system tuning that you can do at your own pace from anywhere in the world. I'm Nathan Lively, and today I'm joined by front of house sound engineer for Godsmack, Eric Rogers. Eric, welcome to Sound Design Live. Hey, Nathan. (laughs) (laughs) So, Eric, I definitely want to talk to you about all these shows you've been doing with Godsmack. You told me you learned a lot about SPL, and we have all these questions that came in from Facebook. But first of all, what is one of the first tracks you want to play through the sound system once you get into the room and get everything set up? Everybody who's toured with me probably in the last 10 years knows that like the first well the first track I play is Pink Noise. It's everybody's favorite. Um, yes. they, they, they literally they think I'm doing it to measure the system, but the truth is is I've just found the exact noise that pisses off every rigor in LD and I play it loud <laughs> and I don't care. <laughs> After everything's everything's in line, and uh, I'm fairly confident that it's going to be great, the first song I play every time since 2009 is uh, Pink Floyd coming back to life. So, Eric, you've heard this show before. You know I like to talk about um, what are some of like the very first steps people take in their careers. So how did you get your very first job in audio? My very first job in audio was I was, again, this is a long time ago, this is 20 some years, wow. Um, I was bumming around the local music scene in Dayton, Ohio. Um, I fancied myself a, a guitar player and I'm really bad. But <laughs> but I picked up with a, a local band just being, being the roadie. I drove the truck. I built the drums. I I ran lights from a little NSI foot controller on stage. Like it was it was the funniest thing. Like the band guys are up there and here I am upstage in a line with like me, the lighting guy, the drummer and the percussion player and uh it kind of it it came out of that. Like I was never I was never in the band. I was just pushing the buttons and um uh, guitar player for the band is a notorious cheapskate. He's also one of my best friends now. They decided they didn't want to pay, you know, the, the local sound company that came out. And it's, I mean, this is 1999, so I'm guessing what, like 200 bucks a night for PA. And back then, local bands were actually getting paid really well. Like, it's, it was amazing. They were making, you know, $1,000 a night or whatever. And they didn't want to come off of 200 bucks to pay the sound company. So they're like, oh, no, Eric can mix it. And I'm like, Eric did what? <laughs> <laughs> it, it literally it started off with just a, a little six-channel PV-powered head. I had kick, vocal, vocal, guitar, acoustic. That was it. Like the bass player was still just, you know, he had the, there was more speakers in the bass rig than there were in the whole PA. That was it. It was playing in these corner stages and these tiny little dive bars, figuring it out. And it just kind of grew 
because um, this was like Dayton and Cincinnati, Ohio, and uh, I met a very fine gentleman, Alan Can, who was one of the house engineers at a, a club in Cincinnati, and he was he was the house guy, and he he had he had a rig, he had a real touring gig, so he was one of those guys you look up to. And uh, I would just come in and be real friendly with him, and he started showing me around the gear. Like, and I had I had no idea that this was like a, a career at the time. I was literally just doing it for, you know, fifty bucks and all the beer I could drink. How old were you? I was well, nineteen ninety nine, so I was twenty. But I was twenty, and then twenty one. So I started doing this actually right before I could really drink in a bar. <laughs> it was it was it was the segue. Yeah, it's interesting. If you look back, it seemed. It seems to me like your desire to be in bands was just part of a broader desire to, you know, be part of an adventure, which would be like, be you know, being part of live shows. And now you're part of live shows, not as a guitar player, but as, you know, part of the production crew, which you got into pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. Um, well, there's there's a, a there was a local company in Dayton. A buddy of mine worked for for them and he was he was the local audio tech. You know, it's funny. It's like he's the same local audio tech now that I complain about every time I have to deal with a local audio tech. And I, I was that local audio tech, but I, I didn't even know that was a thing. And he said, "Come work for me." And I'm like, "What do you mean?" And like he works with this guy um, called Paul McDermott. Paul took me in as a, a young kid who didn't know anything and taught me pretty much everything. Like it was, and, and I, I didn't know there was. I didn't know consoles could be forty-eight channels big. I thought, you know, I, I, w- I was living large with my Mackie twenty-four hundred four. I didn't know that you could split signal between two analog desks. I had no idea what a compressor did, and uh, I got to learn all of that stuff. It was it was really awesome, and it was all what I thought was going to be playing in bands or being part of the music scene. It, it developed as you get older and as you mature it was more challenging myself to learn more to to know more and then all of a sudden it was a balance between music and science learning the physics of what we do and that became that became as cool as noodling around on a guitar and it became cooler as noodling around on a guitar because then I started to realize that the bands that I wanted to see or, or the shows that I, I I went to there was like this intimate relationship between the person mixing and the people playing the music. And that's not to say that the person mixing is is creating anything, but imagine talking at something like a UN meeting without your translator. That's really interesting. So th- you mentioned, you've mentioned this a couple of times now at the very beginning, you had no idea this was going to be a career. And then you're just talking about how you were learning about how to do this like translation service. So looking back, like was there a moment when you realized, oh, this can be a career or this is what I want to do now with my time? Can you kind of take us to that moment? Do you remember when that was? I, somehow I made a decision and I, I can't remember when. Man, I really want to do this. Like, I think there's more to there's more to it than just, you know, 50 bucks in, in free beer. And then I went to go work for that local production company. And my father was an engineer in the Air Force. So I had a leg up when uh, he's like, do you know how to solder? I'm like, yes, yes, I do. <laughs> and, you know, I'm here I am in the back fixing cables and swapping out burn up capacitors on old Crest amplifiers and doing whatever. At some point, you know, we also threw all that stuff in a truck and went to go do shows. And it was Sometimes it was a rock and roll band. A lot of times it was a gospel show or um, 
the the company we worked for we we did all the all the weird corporate events we did the the radio station uh set up a bunch of speakers in the middle of the the courthouse square so people can listen to the radio station and eat free sandwiches and you know um we did we set up a bunch of set up pa down a whole street every june for the pride parade the festivals that had you know 30 bands a day for three-day weekends and stuff like that we just we did it all it's not a real job i actually worked at a i worked for a radio station i was the overnight board operator like listening to awful am talk radio all night long and editing commercials i don't remember what it was one day i just i went in and i told my boss that i was going to quit the radio station mm-hmm. and he's like well what does that mean for me i'm like that means you need to put me out on a lot more gigs <laughs> 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 and uh we didn't really have the gigs you know like there's a finite amount of work to be done in dayton ohio we got a phone call from a a com- another company that we kind of partnered with every now and again a few cities away and next thing i know i'm the I- i'm i'm on a bus like they'd sent me out with a bunch of pa and i it was an awful tour <laughs> it was like your first tour is so a lot of people have cool first tour stories that was actually pretty rough but at the same time no i think that's actually that's actually pretty common oh, really? until you have you have to do a few of those until you learn what it is you like and what it is you're good at and you know sort of the, the indicators of what a good tour is going to be. Right. And there's usually a moment you're either sick of something or you've decided you know what it is you want to do, and then you start telling people, and then things sort of start to fall into place more. Because when you're sort of just kind of doing whatever, then you're doing whatever, and you're kind of enjoying it. But at some point, you're forced into something that you either hate or that you love, and then you like get pushed away and... And that's when you sort of your path sort of starts to um, become uh, more real. I guess I don't know a better way to say it. more. Clear. No, no, you're you're right. And what I've what I've noticed as well is I don't have the same direction I did when I was but when I was twenty and I, I didn't have kids and I, I didn't have nearly the the life experience behind me or responsibility in front of me, like you know. Back then, it was, you know, you don't really think about past anything beyond this is what I want to do. You don't think beyond that. And now it's this now that I'm doing what I want to do. Now the thought process is, is how do I continue to, to hone this craft or protect or to, to perfect my, my skills? But at the same time, like I got I got to go pick up a kid from soccer practice tonight. So my vision was really narrow. All I saw was this goal and I'm going to do stop at nothing to get there. Now I'm getting to the point where I'm starting to realize that I'm nowhere near where I want to be, but I'm well on my way. How do, how do I keep balancing that with everything else? It's, it's an interesting, and I'm, I'm curious what's going to happen when I'm in 20 years from now, when I'm sick of it all. (laughs) So when you say balance, you mean like you don't want to become so obsessed that like you abandon your family and friends and everyone hates you. That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, uh, what's funny about that is um, I went I went through that. I was divorced in 2010. I made a handful of really shitty decisions. Let's just say more more selfish and, and unfocused than want than than it should have been. So these were stresses on the relationship. Absolutely. But okay. what I've also noticed is is the personal growth that you go through through something awful like that brings everything into focus and like i'm a better human for it i'm a i'm a better front of house guy for it i'm a i think i'm a better se for it (laughs) um i'm a better father for it you know it's it's sometimes you need to get you know hit in the face with a brick in order to focus start realizing wow i was a 
dumbass. And then all of a sudden, like when you start figuring out where things went wrong, you, you start to find things wrong everywhere. I don't know if you'll be able to do this, but can you give me an example of a decision you would have made in the past that you wouldn't do now because of the newfound focus? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, without going into absolute specifics, let's just say uh, you should be very careful what you say and who you say it around. It starts off with um, you're isolated and you can say whatever. Fuck it, I'm a roadie. Then the next step is like, oh, you just censor yourself around that guy. But that guy can figure out that you're being fake. <laughs> in censoring yourself. So eventually you, you turn your whole attitude around to a more professional professional attitude and less, you know, less gung-ho, less... It's funny, I, I'll, I'll throw the word roadie around every now and again, um, and that's mostly because I hate roadies. <laughs> um, and the whole attitude that goes with You it. were a roadie. I am one. And I, I was one. That's the th Yeah, it's like I, it was the, the worst version of yourself. And it's it's funny. Like that's the, the decision process made where you think that you're untouchable, no matter what it is. It could be professionally. It could be personally. It, it doesn't matter. Just, just realize that um, your artist, your boss, or your wife will replace you. It all comes from none of us wanted to punch a time clock and have a real job. I wanted to make my own way in the world. And, and when you start making your own way in the world, you start to think that the rest of the world is stupid. So it took a long time to realize that the, that stupid rest of the world are the people that pay money to come to my shows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so hypocritical to want to work in a service industry, but not do anything for customers and clients, you know? <laughs> right. Well, I don't know. That's, I mean, I guess that's the difference between me and a monitor guy, because... Uh, my customer service has a barricade between us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, awesome. So you've done a lot of stuff since then. Fast forward to today. Now you've been touring with Godsmack, doing lots of shows all over the world. Yes, sir. Before I get to this, let me ask you, how'd you get the job? Okay, I, I got the job under um, actually relatively awful circumstances, but it has a good end. A good good ending. I was SE for Godsmack last year. Is S SE a stage engineer? engineer. Yeah, systems, systems tech. Okay. My 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 good friend Scott Kachuk was mixing Godsmack. He called me and he said, "Hey, do you want to come be my SE? The SE is is the person who designs, builds, deploys the P, tunes the PA system every day." I have a friend right now who's out on tour, and he's the stage left PA tech. Oh, what tour? Oh, I don't remember. I was just wanting to point out that there are even oh, more granular oh, absolutely. positions. You know? um, we, we have them. This person's just responsible for this array of speakers. We, we have those <laughs> on Godsmack. I have a stage left guy, stage right guy, monitor guy, and then, um, well, we can get back get to this in a minute, but actually this go around, I will be my own SE out front, which is pretty rad. I was Scotty's systems engineer. It was, it was cool. He's an old friend of mine, and um, I found myself in a, for the first time in a while, looking for a gig, and he called me up to ask if I wanted to come out in SE for him. And I hadn't done systems teching in quite a while. I had just been a front of house engineer for the last 15 years. And, but it was for Scott and for Godsmack, like, absolutely, I'll come out and do it. I was under the impression I was going to go out and be systems engineer for Godsmack again this year. And I got the phone call that uh, my friend Scott needed uh, a kidney and he couldn't wow. go on tour. And it was, hey man, can you take over mix Godsmack? Not, hey, man, can you give me a yeah. kidney? Well, uh, I would have, but he doesn't want my kidneys. My kidneys are... <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not in good condition. <laughs> my kidneys are a wreck. I got the job because uh, I had to fill in for a friend of mine who was gravely ill. And um, actually, it was uh, I was just on the phone 
the other day and uh all things are good he's he's got a donor and it's it's he's gonna be he's gonna be back up and running and, and amongst the world hopefully very soon so then you'll be out of a job probably but we'll see <laughs> <laughs> but i mean we'll see there's 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 a lot of other stuff out there anyway that that's good to hear so um so he got you in and then did he sort of show you the robes and did he like how much of his material did you did you like use his show file or were you able to like kind of make it your own and, and build your own mix and stuff? A little bit of both. Um, I was the obvious choice for Godsmack because I, I had already been out for a year with them, so I already knew the show. I knew, I I, I knew the material. I, I I knew what was going on. What I did was uh, I actually went up to the sound company uh, at the time they were in New Hampshire, and I spent a week with multi-tracks on the console and it was i inherited a show file that i used never i I built something off of it i listened to it i understood what he was doing but he and i kind of have a a slightly different approach to a mix the end result is the same people seem to Mm -hmm. to really dig it right but you need to understand it yeah on your own level exactly And, and and you know the way the way uh i visualize things like even just the little things like the layout of a console you know the way the way my brain processes it and the way yours does or anybody else's does would be completely different so um it's 100 percent my show file but i inherited a signal flow from him on the first leg of the tour where it was the first run was in europe so he had already advanced it i mean i, I was it was it wasn't gear i was unfamiliar with it was just uh it was analog uh, optical compressors over here and it was distressors over mm-hmm. there and with the outboard i was used to using awesome sexy bracasti reverbs and over and then i had to learn how to use uh was it a lexicon 480l which i think was brand new when i was an infant <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and it's and, and no offense to anybody who who loves those it, you're absolutely right because you're gonna when I say that I don't like it, you're going to get a Facebook feed full of people going, what is that guy talking about? It's the best fucking reverb ever. <laughs> and it does. It sounds great. And I'm sure that you had plenty of time with your slide rule learning how to operate the damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just, it was not the device for me. So it's... All right. And we're going to get more into the consult later because some people asked about that. Um, but before we do that... One of the first things I asked you was what what's one of the biggest things you've learned doing all these shows and you said that it was around reasonable SPL. Um, you said mixing at a more reasonable SPL was the most stunning and satisfying lesson. We spent a lot of time in Europe this year and the laws governing SPL at events are strict. Making a full mix for a big loud American rock band conformed to the rules over there was challenging at first. I quickly came to love it. So Difficult lesson to learn. You came to love it. So let's break this down a little bit. What What is reasonable SPL? Okay, re- and the reason I used reasonable is um, I, I don't like I don't like numbers, and and I, I get it. A lot of the people in the EU have assigned a number to it, but let's take the worst, which was the Netherlands, I think, where um, I was limited to ninety eight dB LEQ over ten minutes indoors. Like in this in this tiny little club, versus and then, but then you go that was hard, but then you go to say uh, Rock'em Ring or Rock'em Park where I've got more K1 and K2 than you could ever wish for. My console is 180 feet from the stage, and I have to like I have to keep it at 100 dB. Now (laughs) at at the time you're an American, you look at it like 100 dB. That's fucking crazy. And that's what I mean by reasonable is even even last year and um, a lot of respect to my friend Scott, but he makes it loud. 
Mm-hmm. And I was used to all last year. I mean, our show Sound Design Live is we supported were by around. Learn I mean, Stage it was, Lighting, it was Scott, up Pedro, 106, Brian, 107 Bob, average. Roadie Free Radio, every Joel Ellis, then you Jim, run into Senque, things Nicholas, over, Nicholas, he, over here in Cuba, the US Chris, where DC Sound Op it seems Dave. like some, you can start some busy body in the neighborhood as as $1 got pissed off because kids were having a good time. So the city council put an arbitrary number on it, like 103 dB. Okay. What weight? Averaged over what? And there, there, and measure. And there's where? no. Uh, my favorite of that one is in uh, where the hell were we? Charlotte, North Carolina. The measurement mics across the street on the roof of the police station. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. In, in Europe, it's it's simple and reasonable because here's a, an LEQ average. Here's where it's measured. You know, and whether it's yours in Ten Easy or Smart or there's a, so many different systems to 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 tally that up. Over here, it's just some guy with the old Radio Shack meter coming in going, you're too loud. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and I could actually demonstrate where the Godsmack show was quieter than, say, the Paul McCartney show. But everybody loves Paul. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, it's like the 70-year-old the across the street doesn't care that a bunch of people his age are having fun. He's been arrested he might be, multiple times already. <laughs> right. He might be salty that a bunch of kids are having a good time. So the reason I say reasonable is I think that the, the rules over, over there seem to have actually considered health, safety, and comfort. And they've made something. I mean, we'll, we'll grumble about it. And yeah, 98 dB is kind of a pain in the ass, but we can get it done. Um, but if you have the same rules over here, it's... It's not reasonable. So that's where that comes from. Uh, so you say it was challenging at first. So so what happened? So you found out about this. You're like, oh, shit, what am I going to do? And then you talk to production and you say, like, how do you guys handle this? Like, did anyone give you any tips or did you? No. What did, how did you handle that? <laughs> I, I brought it up to my production manager and, and it was like, yep, that's the rules. You'll figure it out. Mm. Okay. And, Sink and or swim. It's not hard to figure out what, what you get past is, is a comfort level. Now, there's certain certain things, like when you're indoors, if I have a, a relatively low SPL limit and my stage volume without any PA on is already breaching that, then I have to work with the backline guys a little bit. Mm-hmm. Any professional tech and artist, they, we all work together. It's like, it's great. We're, we're used to having, you know, phasers set to kill here and we can't. Mm-hmm. But we still want to play a show for these people, and, and we all work together for it. It's I found that when the, the overall level comes down a bit, the mix, the the, the fidelity of the mix really tightens up. Mm, okay, and I'm a lot less fatigued at the end of my 90 minute show than I used to be. So tell me about the technical side of actually monitoring this. I know you're a smart user, so do you? Did, do you have like a calibrator and you calibrate your mics and then you're using smart with the SPL meters? How does that work? I do. I, um, I was actually, uh, I was a very early supporter of IsomCon, like one of the, the first guys to use it. And uh, I, I have a pair of uh, IsomCon mics and I have, actually I have a pair of the calibrators. It's funny, they, um, they sent me one years ago and I thought I lost it. And it turns out I just left it in the doghouse of a console <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I i wrote to them and i was honest I'm like man i lost my calibrator and they and it, they they sent me another one oh, that's amazing <laughs> and then um i get back to this this sound company that i hadn't talked to in years and for whatever reason i had something they're like oh hey dude you left this here so 
So now I have awesome. a pair of calibrators, which is pretty rad. I, I have a I have a backup calibrator I can leave somewhere else. Uh, I I use Smart Seven, not Eight. Ed, uh, honestly, it's because I haven't paid for Eight. Uh-huh. I calibrate one microphone every day just for SPL monitoring. Okay. And I don't. And in uh, my roaming microphone I use for system tuning, I don't calibrate. It doesn't matter to me. And so the SPL microphone stays at front of house next to you. It stays. It stays at um, typically at front of house next to me. If uh, I ha- if I'm at a festival or I have and I have enough cable to get where I need it to go, I'll say take it. Um, if you've been to like the large larger festivals where front of house for lights and sound are separated on opposite, mm-hmm. you know, hash lines of a football field, mm-hmm. I will run it out to the barricade outside of the tent roughly at ear level of the guy standing right there. So right. It's, and I'll, I also will calibrate it against, because most of these places will have their own monitoring system. Mm-hmm. And then I put my calibrator on their monitoring system, and it's about 50-50. Uh, I'm either, hey, look, this is accurate, or hey, look, we're using mine today. Oh, right, right, right. So if it's a place that has SPL levels that you, that you can't p- surpass, then they would want to have their own monitoring system so they can come to you and say, hey, you're breaking the rules. Trust but verify. Like, like right. you're you're not you're not going to tell me that I'm violating the rules, and you're going to pull out your you know 45 year old analog Radio Shack piece of shit meter, right? Like uh, I'm I'm going to I'm going to put a calibrator on your device and on my device, and we know that the calibrator is accurate. So whichever one is accurate, that's the one we're going to monitor. By. <laughs> nice. And I'll still obey the rules. <laughs> like I'm I'll still obey the rules, but I want a fighting chance. It doesn't have to be recently on this tour, but can you tell me about one of the biggest or maybe most painful mistakes you've made on the job? I, I, I was um, systems engineering a, a corporate event up north. This was a, like 2012 or something like that. I wasn't. I hadn't been paying attention to actual the, the physical cabling of the motors, let alone anything else. The multi-pin power cable for the motor. It's called a Seep Seven. It's it was spun. One connect, perfectly one connector inside off. So when we connected this thing and fired up the motor, it arced all the way up the chain. Yeah. I looked at it, no harm, no foul, and I did the show. Now this was a, there are two motors, an upstage and a downstage motor on a hang of uh, 12 Meyer Milo cabinets, which uh, if you know about Meyer, they're, they're kind of heavy. It wasn't until the, um, the PA came down at the end of the day that that arc that it sent up, actually, if you, you, know, you see the, the wire rope that you, you hang across the, the rigging grid to connect the motor to the building, uh, it had arced through that half-inch diameter steel cable. Okay. It looks like any other piece of braided rope you might have in your garage, except it's made out of metal. And that arc shot through all but one of the braids. Oh, my God. <laughs> so wow. this, this whole... This whole stick of PA was was literally and, and all the it was on the upstage motor, which is where all the weight was. Like the downstage motor was basically just stability. I, I didn't really even when it came down, I didn't think too much of it, like, oh cool, that held. And packed it up, sent it back to the shop, and I got this 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 harrowing phone call from the shop. Huh which was, we need to talk and like what happened. And then that was, that's when it it was detailed to me exactly how dangerous that was of if that would have broken as well, the whole PA would have swung forward past the center of gravity and probably would have come down on top of a bunch of people. And uh, how do you recover from that? You you just, 
I very humbly wrote an apology letter to uh, the uh, the local IA there and the and the the riggers who uh, during the course of that I yelled at for them being stupid. Oh wow! And, and I was I was the one who was stupid. And uh, this all came from just plugging plugging in the power to from, the motor incorrectly. Yeah, from not paying attention to what I was doing. Check, double check, triple check when you do things. And I mean, this was years ago. And even now, when we go through, like before we fire up anything on the Godsmack tour, it's I, uh, it's well known for the whole audio crew. Like you double, triple check every, and it doesn't matter if it's a a power connector, if it's an XLR. safety is never a compromise Mm -hmm. and when you start to pay attention to that then you start to realize oh you're starting to to do things more cautiously more slowly and and things become actually more efficient when then when you're racing to get it up racing to get it down i i've learned that slowing down and doing it right the first time tends to uh get it done faster overall so right because you're not going back to fix things later yeah, and then uh-huh. yeah. So how do you uh, how do you recover from it? You just don't do it again. Right. <laughs> that, that was it. That's just great. You screwed up. You lived to tell the tale. Now don't screw up again. Man, what a lesson! Thanks for sharing that with us. <laughs> I hadn't thought you about that. You could have been well. like, I don't want to. I don't want anyone to find out about that. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. It's that's funny. Is I've played that I've played that venue uh, several times since then. Every time I go in there, I have the same. Th- I'm like, wow. I really. I, I about ended ended a lot of things that day. It, it never fails to to humble me every time I walk in that building. So Sam Canales asks, ask him what kind of issues does he face on the road besides the difference in venues? Thanks in advance. So issues you face on the road besides the venues. What does that bring to mind for you? Issues besides the venue weird issues like when you do a festival and no one bothers telling you bothers to tell you that uh they need a a split for the record truck yeah and and then they come up to you and you're in england and it's 45 minutes until you're supposed to play like uh hey mate we need a split for the record truck i'm like um yeah that's not gonna happen (laughs) (laughs) And, and and i can't i don't have an analog split so and and i'm i'm just not i probably my front of house console is a, a Midas Pro X and our monitor console is a Digico. I could theoretically give them a Matty split, but I'm not opening up my rack for somebody to stab coax in the, you know, in the back of that mess. So the solution I came up with for that was I, I sent stems from front of house um, because my, the mm-hmm. Midas output rack is actually very accessible. So there's a, there's a, a stereo just house mix ready to go just uh, uh, it's a, a complete duplicate of what's going to the pa then there's a stereo house mix minus vocal that's going then there's the complete vocal bus with all vocals effects as it goes and then there's the four individual vocals and that was the solution like if you should you should be able to make something work out of that <laughs> <laughs> And if not, you probably should have told me no, about that's that great. You know, that, earlier. That's definitely something that I would normally not prepare for. But during the last Live Sound Summit, one thing that I learned from Pooch is that he always prepares groups of instrument families 
One of the reasons being in case someone last minute comes to him with that kind of request, it can be like, yeah, I have those set up and I can figure See, it out. See, that's actually, before. I'm going to have to text him and thank him for that info that, that, <laughs> through you. That's actually really smart. And, uh-huh. um, because everything I do is through subgroups, so I could send, I could send every group like drums, bass, guitars, vocals, tracks. I could send all of that, wet and dry, and they could they could be able to make something out of it. That's actually a really good idea. Uh-huh. Thanks, Booch. Andreas uh, Rosher, his routing in his desk, inputs, groups, matrix, etc. Any special tricks in mixing or a setup? Um, so I know you have a lot of channels, so we're not going to go through everything, I could, but could you get us I can dumb an it down. overview it's actually simple. of, yeah, the, the yeah, layout for um, your console would be great. The layout for my console is pretty, uh, I mean, I have, it's 96 channels total. Um, we have capability for 117 because you never know, like I, we have guests and stuff like that. Two drum kits. So like, uh, Shannon, our, our, their drummer, and then there's a, a long drum solo or Sully actually plays drums and they play off of each other and it's it's this really cool thing but both drum kits actually are pretty input heavy because it's standard you know two mics in the kick two mics on the snare all the toms but also every drum whether it's kick snare or tom also has a trigger on it that is keying the gate and i don't use overheads mm-hmm. i actually have like see hi-hats and rides are individually mic'd um Anything that's a bell, like a cowbell or this little ship bell thing is mic'd. And then I have four, call them overheads because that's just what they're called, but they're not. They're, they're around their heads. So basically, I group, uh, uh, the symbols are in groups, it's like in clusters of four mm-hmm. around each kit. So they're pretty input heavy and uh, open bus. And then there's a, a, a crushed parallel bus. There's three channels for the bass and it goes into a group. Sully's guitar has two mics. I have a... Well, both guitars have two mics. There's a, a Royer R10 ribbon and a 57. But then um, there's also a DI backup, and it's um, a, a radial JDX DI. For for Sully, I don't use the, the the DI is strictly a backup. I don't I don't really need his Tony stage left. Um, he actually has he plays two amplifiers, so I have the two mics on one cab, and then I have a mic. A 57 and the DI on the other cab to kind of make the big fat guitar sound that he likes to have. And those are all grouped. Um, and in all the vocals, honestly, I have four vocals. They're identical. And it's not, it's not like a, this is the center vocal position and this is the, this guy's mic and that's that guy's mic. It's anybody can grab any mic at any time. And honestly, Sully does all of the singing and the, 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 the guys who sing backup vocals, they only go in front of their mic, but it's all, Everything is EQ'd. Everything is set for for the boss to grab whatever mic he wants at any given time. And those mm-hmm. that's okay. that's a, that, that's that's a neat trick. Um, the there is there's no channel strip EQ on those microphones. Uh, I've inserted individually on those microphones uh, a dynamic EQ per one, but it's it's pretty minimal. But all of those all the vocal mics go to a bus. And the output of that bus is into, and, and honestly, it depends on if I'm in Europe or here, it goes into a bus compressor. The bus compressor over here was a Universal, universal Audio uh, 1176 the stereo unit. And that comes back into a graphic for the bus. And then that gets punched back into the desk. So the 
honestly, there's there's very minimal EQ on the vocals. The the vo- the capsule does the mo the the bulk of the work. His voice is actually really good anyway, and lends itself to just being wide open. And there's just there's touches of dynamic EQ and compression that clean it up. Uh, high and low pass filters. That's it. When you do some some weird gig that has a thrust sticking 40 feet out in front of the stage, I like to have a graphic in there just just in case. That's it. So those are your groups, and then those all go to a left-right bus and out of the console, or what those all Okay, all of my groups go into, uh, just straight out of the left-right bus, and then I take the left-right bus, and that goes through multiple matrices. Um, I do not compress the main group, so I have um, the bus compression going out into the PA goes off of uh, the left-right matrix, and I don't compress the sub-send. I don't often use the subs. I, I really just mix left right into the processor. The sub send exists for uh, weirdness where I can't, like, maybe my rack doesn't show up one day or it's whatever. Chris Lutbecker says, always interested in rock chain vocals, mixing them with an upfront guitar sound. It can be difficult to separate them at times. Tips or tricks. So you talked about the chain a little bit. So could yep. you talk about sort of like the battle between, I guess, um, vocal mid-range and guitar mid-range? Well, I there's think a couple things. Is, um, before Godsmack, I, I was mixing a, a country artist for a number of years. We were out doing the same you know, arenas and stadiums. And in country music, the vocal is everything. Like, And, and if you've ever seen a country music show, they have the... It, it the mix sounds like the stage looks. There's like this band you can't really see about a hundred feet behind the singer, and then there's sure, in the dark, in the dark, and then there's tight jeans out front with a microphone, and that's <laughs> all you hear. Yeah, and, and and so you get used to mixing like that, just basically putting the vocal out in front, and and that's as simple as putting all of your like for me, and I actually kind of still do it for Godsmack, where I have I have groups and VCAs where I have individual channel groups have a VCA and then I have a band VCA that I can just pull down just underneath the vocal a little bit. Now in the country music world, that pull down might be a little, a little more steep than say in the rock and roll world. And that's something I noticed here is, is if you listen to a lot of the rock music, the vocal is, is discernible and it's, it's, it's out front, but it's not elevated. It's not way up here. And so what I've done is, especially with, with Godsmack, where, where, where Sully's has got a, a very powerful voice, roughly in the same frequency range as the guitar he's playing, and the, uh, I pan the guitars. It's, and it was, it was as simple as that, as if, if my vocal is at 12 o'clock, and all of a sudden my stage left and stage right guitars are, even at 11 and 1, that's, that's just enough hole to sit the vocal nice and inside. I've also done other tricks where... I take all of these different groups and they go into the master band group and that master band group has uh, dynamic control at a different ratio than say the vocal group and then that settles nice and into the main bus there. So if you take what I honestly do is you take all 96 your inputs and they become eight groups and you're not worried about the drums. You're not worried about the bass. So now you're worried about three things. You have, you're mixing this guitar, that guitar and vocal that it was for me, it was as simple as just putting everything kind of in space visually and the vocal settles in on top of that. Alphonse S says, does he use gates on all vocals and drums? Does he use peak or RMS compression? Uh, well, we talked about that. I have, um, I have triggers keying the gates on all the drums, vocals, gates, yes and no. I use Neve 5045 
um, expanders on the vocals. I tend to use RMS compression and not peak because I don't like to use gear for damage control. My guys are they're, they're pretty consistent, so I, I shouldn't. I don't really need to put in anything to knock out peaks. If a peak gets in there, it's because they want it there and I want it there. Preserving their performance exactly. more. Rob Thomas, hi, what hi Rob. beard cream is best? <laughs> <laughs> um, you guys can't see Eric, but he has a pretty luxurious beard. I, I do have a... Well, Rob has seen my luxurious beard in, in, in many different uh, forms. He's seen it short. He's seen it long. So he wants to know about your beard maintenance. Serious question. Uh, I, so I Whatever is on sale at Publix. Nothing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever's on sale at Publix, and I try to wash the uh, the after show food out of it at least twice a week. David Jaycox, compression, heavier, light. Kick drum, light. Snare drum, heavy. Vocal, heavy. Bass guitar, light. This is where it gets weird. Bus compression is whatever I, I, I'm feeling that day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's fun. Uh, I'm, I'm I had a very specific piece that I used and I loved and I got very used to it was an Avalon bus compressor, and then I changed to the Neve. Portico, too, and it's a, it's an awesome unit. It's great. At the same time, it, it didn't it didn't have the feel that my Avalon had. So hmm. I was changing that daily until it got to where and and it was fun. Some days it would be like heavy compression. Some days it would be light. Some days it's faster attack than other days. And, and quite honestly, it was probably all to roughly the same result. It was more of a comfort factor. So. Um, I would definitely say it depends on the input, and then if you're using bus compression, it, uh, <laughs> it depends on if Mercury, Mercury's in retrograde. I don't know. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, he says pre or post EQ. Most instrumentation, like uh, a kick and snare, it's pre. On uh, my vocals, it's post. Mo- all bus compression is pre. Mark Sambuco, can I train under him? Of course. So I see two. <laughs> so... You found some great people that taught you great things as you were getting started. Felt to me like you you sought that out, but it was also you, you got kind of lucky. So how do people find good mentors, I guess? And then number two, are you hiring assistants? And like, could someone like email you and like, well, I don't know, it's, come it's work funny. Um, a, a friend of mine and I, we're, we've been talking about this. Actually, two friends of mine have been talking about this over the past couple of months. Training. And there's always, like, like you've got your thing, which is, is really rad. And when, when, I, was, when I was younger, there, there was no university program for this. I know that there is now, and um, I, I know a handful of full-sale grads that have gone on to have amazing careers. Yeah, so here's the thing that I would point out in that instance is that um, a lot of people don't ask for that because they're nervous and because they don't think it's possible but there are all kind of levels where that totally is possible from the most minimally invasive which is can i just shadow you for a day which means that you just come in and watch me work and don't say anything and then at the end of the day you ask all the questions that you want to ask that's like the and like probably a lot of people would say yes to that i mean it would be easier to get that at like a local theater probably a local concert venue um, than it would to be with, you know, kind of the higher stress, higher stakes environments of like a touring show. Like that's going to be a little bit harder to land, um, you know, shadowing someone there. And, you know, the higher you go up the ladder too, like it's going to be a little bit harder to get a, you know, gig shadowing pooch than it would be 
me or your local right, right, right. Like, theater technician. Um, and then, you know, there are other opportunities that go up from there. So shadowing is minimally invasive. If you want to assist, then you get into sort of like there's a risk there. And like, do you have insurance? Does the building provide insurance? Uh, do you need a contract? So then there are some questions of of how that of how that works. I don't know. Do you want to say anything else about that? Like how people can like approach getting uh, uh, more experience? Everybody's hero in this business is Big Mick. I met him, I don't know, about eleven years ago for the first time. And it was it was it would be akin to to the people in my meet and greet lines for my guys. Like they're just ang- they're anxious and they can't wait to meet their favorite rock star. And here I am, very humbly walking up to meet my favorite rock star, which is pretty cool. I was happy just to to shake a hand, and the my, the friend of mine who made the introduction was like, "Now's your chance, fucking ask, go ask." But, <laughs> <laughs> and, and that started actually a really awesome conversation of of me asking some of these same questions, like, "What are you what?" What are you doing here? How are you doing this? It was, mm-hmm. Get over that first hurdle of asking is so crucial. I didn't, I didn't come straight out of elementary school knowing how to mix a rock and roll band. So <laughs> come up and, and, and talk to me. I'm very, very happy to talk to anybody. You know, keep in mind that we're all just people and we like this job and we like to talk shop. And so if you ever get a no and a rejection, that's not because we don't want to talk to you. It's because you're asking at the wrong time or there's like something critical is happening or we're, we're like anxious because you know something's going wrong like any number of things so so it's it's always yeah, okay yeah, yeah. to ask i feel like cool jonathan parker what tricks did he use to get that epic kick sound nothing it's not magical tricks what magic who did you sell i your have soul i have to? a voodoo doll <laughs> Voodoo kick drum. (laughs) Um, No, honestly, it's it's not a trick. It's not magic. It's a a Sure 91, and it's an Audix D6. Uh, I would say uh, a big mistake people, I see people do with kick drums, at least, uh, I would say mistake, something that I don't do. The 91 is, uh, the the boundary mic is always inside the kick. Great. That's super simple. First thing you got to do there is strap it down somehow, whether you're using... Um, a Kelly shoe. Uh, hey, Jeff Kelly, you can send me a check for mentioning you. <laughs> or um, even even a little thing like uh, I've what we've done on the Godsmack one is we took the foam out of uh, a Pelican case and put Velcro on the foam and Velcro on the bottom of it. But get the boundary mic that's inside. Make sure it doesn't bounce around or move or or spin because you're pointing that capsule. It's a hypercardioid. No, sorry, it's a, it's a half cardioid mic. You, know, you want it pointing at the beater head. You don't want it wiggling around. The other one that mm-hmm. I think is even more important is um, it doesn't matter what kick drum mic you're using, Beta 52, D112, RE20. It doesn't matter. There's, first of all, there's no such thing as a kick drum mic. A mic is a mic. We have, we have mics that we prefer, but it, it doesn't matter. Whatever egg-shaped thing you're sticking in the hole of a kick drum, get it all the way in or all the way out. I don't know who started this trend of having it halfway like the little blue line on the sure beta 52 is like the the boundary that you shall you shall not pass like get that fucking thing <laughs> up and in there and it, unless you're you're looking for more of a that open sound and then get it off get it back off the head
I want to know what's in your work bag, but um, we don't have time for everything. Could you pick maybe one or two things that you feel like are unique or otherwise especially helpful? Yeah, easily. I have my uh, IsomCon EMX 7150 measurement mics and, and the okay. uh, calibrators to go with it. I have a Focusrite Scarlet two-channel preamp. Uh, and bits and pieces of of adapters, and, and quite honestly, that's somebody else has a screwdriver. I don't need to. I don't, I don't need to carry that <laughs> shit. Um, I, I carry my smart rig. I carry a flashlight, um, and I carry incense. <laughs> and that's it. Uh, oh, and headphones. Um, the uh, MX fifties. Eric, can you think of one book that has been immensely helpful to you? Uh, a book that's helped me more than anything in my life or in my career is a book called The Art of Happiness by the Dalai Lama. Uh, I highly recommend it. It's an easy read and it, it reads much mm-hmm. like, like an interview. And it's, it's about exactly what you think it's about. And it, it's applicable to everything from audio to being a dishwasher or whatever, whatever you need to motivate you to, to succeed. Uh, do you listen to any podcasts? I do. Joe Rogan, Serial Killers, is a two-parter where like the first episode is always like the, the backstory of whomever, BTK, Jeffrey Dahmer, da-da-da. And the second half is how they caught him, if they caught him. But they have a, there's the host, and the host is really, is, is really dry, honestly. I mean, if, if he hears this, he's going to be insulted. I'm sorry. But he's really dry and not really exciting to listen to. But the lady on there who goes into the psychology of of the brain was is it's riveting to find out like how can somebody so so normal be so awful? Uh, one of my favorite ones that I have listened to every single episode is on NPR and it's called How I Built This. I, I let now, but I, I forced her to start listening to uh, my daughter to start listening to it. And it was one of those things to motivate, like anybody can do anything. And it's cool to listen to Richard Branson's story, but it's even cooler to listen to the, the chicken salad lady who's all of a sudden, like she's out of her kitchen, she built an empire. And it's, I found it really wow. motivating for my kiddos and honestly motivating for me. And I can even apply that in the world of audio. Anybody who's motivated to succeed can, as, as long as you don't give up and, and, Feel free to take a shitload of criticism. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, where is the best place for people to follow your work? Um, quite honestly, Instagram. Okay. What's your handle? Yeah, it's Eric, E-R-I-K-M-R-O-G-E-R-S. Um, and quite honestly, I only use Instagram for work stuff. Cool. Well, Eric and Rogers, thank you so much for joining me on Sound Design Live. Thank you very much. This was awesome. Sound design. I want to thank Godsmack for the music in today's episode. You can find more of their music at godsmack.com or by probably listening to the radio. Sound Design Live is supported by Learn Stage Lighting, Scott, Pedro, Ryan, Bob, Martin, Rody Free Radio, Joel, Ellis, Jim, Sinqui, Terry, Nicholas, Kuba, Chris, DC Sound Op, and Dave. You can start supporting Sound Design Live for as little as $1 today over at patreon.com slash sounddesignlive. I've got a lot of updates coming out soon about gorilla mixing and phase invaders, so if you'd like to hear about those, you can sign up for my mailing list at sounddesignlive.com slash signup. up.